The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. Everyone can hear me? A little louder, please. How about now? That good? Back there also? There's a little iffy. Okay, that's better. Okay. Um, So um, the Buddha said... The Dharma is for one who is energetic, not for one who is lazy. And um, that's what I want to talk about this morning, is uh, the relationship between uh, complacency and and laziness and wise effort. Um, A number of years ago, uh, I don't know if if you don't know what MBSR is, I'll briefly tell you. uh, in the early days of, um, uh, of MBSR, which is mindfulness-based stress reduction, uh, it's a form of mindfulness that's taught in a secular setting, usually in hospitals and clinics. And, um, you know, it's taught without any Buddhist terms on a very, very practical level for, for people who are Often it was started mainly for people who are very ill, recovering from cardiac uh, incidents or terminally ill, or people with a lot of pain to help them deal with that. And, you know, it's an eight-week program in a lot of ways similar to how we teach mindfulness here um, in our six-week course. And, um, but, but a lot of the teachers from the... <clears throat> a lot of teachers and staff uh, back east at IMS, uh, the, uh, in some meditation society, you know, they'd heard about it, they, they kind of knew the, of the work, but they want to become more familiar with it because it was really something that has been taking hold in many hospitals. And, and so they decided as a, as a group to go take one of these courses in the clinical setting. And so, you know, these were all very experienced meditators, and, um, you know, the way they teach the program, they teach you how to do, um, you know, mindfulness sit- meditation, sitting up, and then they do a body scan that you do laying down. And so they guide you through the body scan, becoming aware and relaxing each part of your body. One of the things that they noticed was that they were mixed with uh, the patients in the hospital. You know, some of them were from, from this group and some of them were the patients. And they noticed that all the patients stayed awake during the body scan. And most of the experienced meditators fell asleep. <laughs> and so this is the, the art of working with complacency. Um, you know, sometimes when we get very motivated, many of us come to practice out of some strong suffering. Not everyone, but a lot of us do. Uh, you know, either a, a relationship that's ended, work that isn't working, um, you know, or illness or stress. And so we're very motivated. We want to get out of pain. And then at first, you know, it's really hard to stay concentrated. 
And at some point, it starts getting easier and the sittings may become really comfortable. And at that point, we can get really complacent. But we can get complacent at any point. And, um, and so the Buddha taught um, uh, a wise effort in many different contexts. In fact, you can find teachings on wise effort on many of the Buddhist lists. Uh, those of you who are familiar with them, you know, in the Eightfold Path, um, the Four Right Efforts, the Ten Parmis, the Seven Factors of Awakening, um, the Four Bases of Power. Uh, so there are just a number of lists. It's over and over because um, you can't do much in our spiritual life without wise effort. Um, <clears throat> and um, a lot of people mistake effort for doing, for taking action. And, um, and sometimes people limit their wise effort to the cushion. You know, they, they sit every day and they go, yep, I'm doing practice really well. And then the rest of the day, they just let their minds just go wherever they want to. And often where our minds go is based on the habits that we've had all our lives. So if we've had some really unhelpful mental habits, every time we think them again, they get stronger and stronger. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, if you smoke one cigarette... Um, one day once, it's not a big deal. It doesn't particularly harm your health. It's just one cigarette, kind of unpleasant usually, and, and that's it. But if you smoke every day, eventually it causes damage. And it's the same thing with a lot of our unhelpful thoughts. What might be a one-time critical thought can create a whole pattern of self-hatred when we repeat it over and over and over again. So we really want to become aware of what are the things that we're doing throughout the day, uh, you know, when, when we're alone. You know, they, um, I remember they filmed some people, they agreed to being filmed, by the way, in their own homes when they were alone. You know, no sound, just visual. And people went around doing their chores, their work, leisure time, and they found a lot of people who might have this really nice, open, happy persona in public uh, had big frowns on their heads, you know, sometimes his hands were really tight, they were scrunched up, you know, because their mental habits are such that, uh, um, you know, they were, um, you know, either dwelling on things that weren't particularly helpful. One of the things that's important to realize, and I think it's a really crucial piece of of this path, is to realize that every single moment we are creating the rest of our lives, right? We're using the building blocks of our past, the raw material from the past, right? Because that's what we've got. That's where we are right now. But at every single moment, moment to moment, how what we think, what we do with our minds, creates how, what we become. And so when we really stay connected with that, we realize how important it is to watch the quality of our mind. Our, the, our mental quality is the most important asset we have at any given moment. It's what shows up to meet the world, to meet our moments, to meet our lives. 
if you regularly, for instance, uh, think about um, how much you appreciate the people in your life, do you do that regularly? You know, you think about the people you love, uh, your teachers, mentors, um, you know, people down the street, you know, ha- you know, little kids running around having fun. You know, do you appreciate that on a regular basis? And if you do, you're cultivating, you're developing and strengthening a sense of appreciation. Or if you regularly um, are looking around going, God, look at that idiot over there doing that. Look how they're slouching in their chair. And, um, you know, look at that posture, you know. And you're doing that with your mind, you know. And however, or, or you're doing it by yourself. God, look, my, my back's tired. I'm a terrible meditator. I'm, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know. And so every time we do that and we don't see it, we're developing, we're becoming tighter or more judgmental. It doesn't stay the same. It actually gets stronger and stronger. That's how habits are. But if anybody's ever given up a habit, let go of a habit, uh, it's very doable. You just have to work at it on an ongoing basis. One of the common pitfalls for people who are, you know, some people have um, kind of very laid-back lifestyles, some laid-back personalities, and some people are, real, are very active doers. And they can both be equally um, energetic in terms of wholesome energy and equally unwholesome in their energy. For instance, um, I've known people who work from morning to night, day and night. You know, they might, you know, go work in the garden for hours and hours and hours, yet the quality of their mind is, you know, they're, they're thinking about, um, you know, oh, the garden's such a mess, you know, it's such a mess. I've got to work harder and harder. And actually not, not doing it in a wholesome manner. You know, um, they may think they have energy, but that's not a wholesome energy. So being busy, and sometimes being busy, it, it actually can crowd our lives so much. People can go from one thing to another to another, you know, entertainment, this fun thing, this fun thing, that they have no spaciousness in their lives uh, to just be. Um, we see that with children today being raised. Often all their time is scheduled. They don't really, you know, it might, be, might seem all productive, you know, dancing lessons and music lessons and this lesson and that lesson. But what about just hanging out and playing? So, you know, we often do that to ourselves um, in a culture that values busyness, in a culture that uh, some people just, um, you know, we take pride in, I'm just way too busy, you know, look how busy I am. And we take pride in that, and in, in not necessarily a way that is actually wholesome. So um, the primary thing to do with complacency is to actually recognize it. Um, and not to confuse acceptance and complacency. 
For instance, if I'm uh, meditating, and let's say really an unwholesome state shows up, you know, let's say I'm very uh, irritated with um, uh, the person outside with the blower, you know, all of a sudden they're like, you know, you're having this beautiful, peaceful meditation, the blower comes on, electric blower. What happens? With mindfulness, we go hearing, hearing. But with, um, you know, if we get caught, we, um, you know, we, we say, oh, how could they do that? We get all caught up and we spin out. So complacency um, is not caring about it. It's like uh, we're not even aware that we've uh, dropped into that feeling of, um, of uh, not liking the blower. You know, we're just kind of, you know, waiting till it's over. You know, you're just, you know, numb to, you just never see that. You never see that arise. Staying connected with our sensory experience keeps us from dropping into those unwholesome states. Um, complacency lacks so, so acceptance is an attitude of accepting whether we like something or don't like something. Complacency tends to be um, happy only when, when things are going well. And it's not sharp, and it's not clear, and it's not energetic. It's kind of a little bit like the dreamy state we get into sometimes, right? You know, let's say we've been struggling a lot with practice. There's been a lot of pain. It's been hard to stay on the breath. And then you get into this nice, dreamy state, you know, and you have no, no, not much mindfulness. It's just kind of sweet and relaxing. And, um, but there's no energy in it. There's no, no awareness, you know, so, you know, the practice is just bringing enough energy into that to know that, hey, I'm relaxed, uh, this is feeling good, but just a little bit more aware of that. Um, Suzuki Roshi said, um, each of us is perfect just the way you are, and we can all use improvement. And, you know, and there's, you know, the way he said that, there's just like a slight humor, you know, and, uh, and it's true, you know, and it's that attitude of acceptance. We can accept ourselves completely, no matter how screwed up we are. But when we see ourselves continuing habits that are screwed up, we take the effort to change those without contracting, without shoving it away and pushing it down and making it wrong. We accept, yep, that's how I am right now. This is what's up. Okay, I don't have to nourish that. Let's say we got really mad at someone. We don't have to tell the story and justify it and retell it. And we can just say, oh, okay, that's what came up. It hurts. It hurt my feelings, etc. And I can let it go. I can put it aside. Not shove it away not hide it. So the Pali word for, um, for energy, uh, for energetic effort, is virya. And um, it literally means the state of a hero or strong person. 
heroic. Um, it can be trans translated as vigor or energy or effort. Um, and so when we talk about being peaceful in meditation, it's a peacefulness that's imbued with this kind of energy. Sometimes we need a heroic effort. You know, we're falling asleep, or, you know, I think some of you on occasion have nodded forward, you know. And, uh, yes, you need sometimes a real strength to do that. Or you need a heroic effort when really difficult things come up. You know, a, a really hard emotion to deal with that we might want to just shove it out of the way. Get it out of here. I don't want to feel that. Something really an unpleasant sensation. So sometimes it takes that heroic effort to really stay with our experience. And sometimes, you know, we're not feeling well. You know, so we can take a gentle touch, be gentle with our effort. You know, we're not going to be able to really energize ourselves. But we're not feeling well. We're tired. We're ill. Um, you know, some people like to only practice when they're feeling well. But we really grow in our practice when we practice when it doesn't feel good. That's really where we develop our strength. Now, if it's always easy, you know, it's, it's like playing the same, if you're playing uh, a music, it's like always staying with jingle bells, never playing anything harder, right? So as the practice develops, we increase our capacity to be with the difficult, and we increase our capacity to feel joy. So both capacities increase by hand by hand. So the four right efforts <coughs> are the sixth step of the Buddhist path. And um, excuse me. <coughs> Um, they include, there's, it, they're uh, a really nice acronym that I like to use is PAC, P-A-C-K. And what PAC stands for is we prevent unwholesome states. We abandon unwholesome states that have arisen. C is for we cultivate wholesome states. And the K is when the wholesome states are there, we try to keep them. So those are the four wise efforts that were taught by the Buddha. Um, I'll go through each one a little bit. Um, but I like to use the analogy of, um, you know, I'll stay with the piano for a bit. Um, because learning how to work with the four right efforts is pretty much the same things that you need to use to learn any skill. Um, so it can be the piano, or it can be a sport that you're into, or anything else, you know, uh, a skill, a craft you want to learn. Um, so it's basically four different ways of applying effort and, and practice. Um, <clears throat> so the first one is to prevent unskillful states that have not arisen. So you sit down to meditate and, um, you know, just starting to settle your breath and nothing has happened yet in particular. Uh, so how do you prevent unwholesome states? Now, if you're learning to play the piano, 
uh, what you do is you kind of have a whole picture. Well, what, what is it I'm trying to learn how to play? You know, you, you, um, for instance, you take your first song, you're going to learn Jingle Bells, you know. Um, you know what the song is like. You've got the whole picture. You know where you're going. Okay, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to do that. Um, <clears throat> and um, in meditation, we stay... In the piano, you're paying attention to what you're doing, right? You know, this is, okay, E, 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 right? You know, you're, you're paying close attention to what you're doing. You're not spacing out thinking about something else. And you have the whole picture of, of what you want to be doing. So it's both at the, at the same time. You know where you're going, and, but in the moment, you're paying attention to one note at a time. And it's the same thing when we meditate. We want to know where we're going and where are we going in this practice. We're shifting our practice to what's helpful and moving away from what's not helpful. We're moving towards uh, peace, liberation. You know, what do, why do you practice? You know, I'm, those are the words that, you know, come into my mind about why I practice. You know, I I'm, I'm want to leave, move my life away from suffering and towards freedom. That's the basic reason. And if I look every day, sometimes you can forget about it, you know. Um, you know, you just sit down and you, you know, I want to put in my time, you know. But really that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to uh, ease our minds of suffering and um, cultivate peace and freedom in ourselves. When you use that context, then you become more aware that what happens in your mind is important. And the mindfulness is the paying attention to everything that arises in the mind. It's not so much about making something happen. Sometimes we think about, okay, if I just stand every breath, then, then I'll get concentrated. And it's true, and it's something you, you want to do. But how we get concentrated is everything. You know, I want to pay attention to every breath mindfully, happily, contentedly, relaxedly. Uh, Because if I'm really tight, yeah, I just got to do it so I can accomplish and be successful and not feel bad about myself, you know. Or, you know, you can get really tight in how you pay attention to the breath. Contentment is a prerequisite for any of the deep meditative states. So how we meditate, the attitude of the mind, um, you know, of meditating with a gentle attitude, a, a non-judgmental attitude in ourselves is essential. So back to preventing. So the typical ways of preventing unwholesome states in the mind is by <clears throat> guarding the senses, the things that come in the senses are the things that we generally get caught by. So, for instance, um, uh, you know, you might be meditating at home and, um, you know, someone's making breakfast and it starts smelling really good and you're hungry and all of a sudden, you know, instead of just going, mm, that smells good, pleasant, you go, oh, that smells good, ple- ooh, I want some, I want it now, I'm hungry, I want it, how much longer? You know, so, but noticing that pleasant experience uh, can help you not get caught by the wanting it, wanting more. And the same thing with the unpleasant. 
you know, the, neighbor, the neighbor's blower, right? That's an unpleasant sound to most of us. And so, oh, that's really unpleasant. Okay, you know, and hearing, hearing, uh, instead of getting caught in, you know, I'm going to call them. This should be illegal, etc. Um, you know, remembering that the priority is to be at peace, not to make your neighbor stop their blower. This comes up a lot in daily life. Okay, for instance, um, I don't know if any of you have an issue of being chronically late. You know, and, um, and I, you know, I've heard people tell me, you know, it's very, really common. You know, they say, you know, no matter how much I plan, I'm, I'm, I'm always late. And people are always getting mad at me for being late. And, um, and it doesn't take a lot to leave early so you get there on time, to plan your day so you can get there on time every time. Uh, but it's a very deep habit. And so we often don't question it. I'm just that person who's always late. Um, and we don't see the consequences. And that's where complacency comes in, is that we don't really realize the consequences of our actions. It's actually really disrespectful to our friends to be late or to the teacher to be late or to, um, you know, wherever we are, to, to work, to our work if we're late, um, you know, and, and people who see you as someone who's always late don't respect you as much. You know, so it has an effect in the world that's, that's fairly, fairly um, uh, obvious. But what's not often obvious is that when you're late, you don't trust yourself anymore. Because you've told yourself, okay, I'm going to be there at 9 o'clock. And then you don't do it. Then it means that you don't trust what you say to yourself. And that creates a really important uh, uh, piece in how we relate to ourselves. Um, it's really the trust in ourselves that makes us uh, live really wholesome, skillful lives. It's essential to learn to trust ourselves. Um, you know, there's no way to peace or happiness without a deep sense of trust in ourselves, in our experience. So working, seeing the importance and not being complacent about something like that that's kind of unskillful in our daily lives um, can be a really important part of developing our mindfulness practice. Um, you know, if we have an addiction, another way, you know, this is like preventing, you know, preventing unskillful mental thoughts, right? Um, and with addictions, you know, we stay away from them, right? That's one way of preventing them also. Noticing what's pleasant and unpleasant in our experience, both in the cushion and in daily life, are really good ways of staying alert to this whole process. Let's say you go to somebody's house, you know, and they have this fabulous view, you know, and you, you stand out there on the deck and you go, wow, this is amazing. It's so beautiful, pleasant, right? And for sometimes for people, they go, oh, I wish I had a view like that. And suddenly, 
And I should have gotten a better job so I could afford a house with a view like this. And very quickly, kind of spin one way or the other. You know, start looking at houses when they get home on the internet or, or start putting down on themselves for not being wealthy enough, etc., etc. Uh, so it's just that moment of something pleasant showed up and we didn't notice it and got caught by it. I want that. I want that to be mine. And so staying alert to the pleasant and unpleasant experiences in our life is really essential. It doesn't mean that we don't allow ourselves to enjoy the pleasant. In fact, it's a lot more enjoyable if we don't get caught up in wanting, right? You know, if we can just appreciate the beauty of somebody else instead of, you know, saying, oh, they're prettier than me or, or uh, they're younger than me or they're, you know, or they're smarter than me or they're, you know... It's, oh, how wonderful. I, I love their intelligence. Oh, look at that sweet smile. Look at that, you know, youthful face, you know. Uh, you can just appreciate if you don't get caught in those things. So the next piece of pack, right, we, we're preventing things before they arise, you know, is to abandon them when they've arisen. And... In my experience in meditation, I found myself, of, of the four wise efforts, doing that one the most often. Uh, because it took uh, some skill to catch things at the pleasant, unpleasant uh, state. So in the beginning, the best I could do was maybe after 10 minutes, uh, abandon that story that I was totally steeped in. Um, as my practice developed, you know, I, I was able to abandon those unskillful thoughts and skillful mental states much quicker. And um, in my own practice, you know, and this isn't, you know, you know, people find their own way of doing this. I'm not necessarily recommending it. I'm just sharing it. Um, I have a shortcut that I use in my mind when I get caught in something. I just go, oh, that's not real. For me, for some reason, those words let me put down anything easily. It's not really happening here. It's not real. It's just an idea, thought, etc. that I got caught up in. And so, um, so again, back to the, the piano um, uh, analogy. And, you know, I use this because I remember when I learned to play the piano, I was always in a rush to get it to sound like the song. So what I would do is I would play the easy parts and then make lots of mistakes on the hard parts, but I'd keep going so I'd get the whole song, and you know, because I really wanted the whole song. And what I noticed was that every time that I practiced the difficult parts wrong, I always made the same mistakes over and over. They got really easy, so every time I played it, I'd make the same mistakes. Um, and so when you see a mistake you know, in your mind or, or, a, uh, or an unwholesome state, you abandon it, and it takes energy to abandon it because habits have a lot of strength. But when we correct a mistake, we don't have to judge it. In fact, when we judge it, we're taking the energy away from correcting the mistake. Like if you're trying to uh, play a piece of music, and you know I've watched this with kids sometimes. You know they're they're trying to learn something, and they get really down on themselves for having made a mistake, and they're so focused on the fact that they made a mistake, they're not paying attention to what they're doing. So it's really hard to to learn when you don't pay attention to what you're doing, 
And same thing in meditation. If you're judging yourself for the fact that you just spent the last 20 minutes thinking about, uh, you know, some sex fantasy, you know, and you're, you know, it's hard to really, you know, be mindful and, um, and skillful. And, um, you know, because you're coming home to something that doesn't feel good, right? So if you come home, oh, you know, sex fantasy. Okay, back to the breath, you know. So it's just something that happened, came and went. Back to, back to the breath. Um, <clears throat> So the third um, uh, right effort is cultivation. And, um, and I think what's really important in cultivating wholesome states is keeping your intentions close to your heart. Like I start every sitting with my deepest intentions. I bring those every single time I sit, I bring those to mind. What are my deepest intentions? Um, you know, in something, you know, for, for most of us, you know, we have, a, you know, I like for people to kind of figure that out in your own words, you know. But something about, you know, really freeing ourselves and being at peace, something uh, of that context, those are my deepest intentions. Um, and, and then the next thing in cultivation is practice. You know, again, that's with the piano. You know, you've, you've worked through the difficult part, now you keep practicing. And what's really interesting, you know, to me, you know, I remember uh, I was watching a documentary on, I don't remember the pianist, but, you know, he was like in his 80s, a really famous concert pianist, and he said he still did scales every day. I was really surprised, you know, and, um, you know, so you cultivate wholesome states by practicing, sitting regularly, um, being mindful throughout the day, cultivating loving-kindness, um, you know, when you sit every day, you cultivate patience, you cultivate uh, equanimity. Um, so, <clears throat> the other thing that's really helpful in cultivation of wholesome states is cultivating uh, of good posture. Um, or posture really affects uh, how we feel at any given moment. If you're you know, kind of slouch on the couch and, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you don't have too much energy. You know, you're just kind of vegging out, right? You know, but if you sit up straight and hold yourself up, you know, it brings more energy into the moment. Um, Yvonne Rand, um, Zen teacher, she said, um, to be present, give up leaning and slouching. And that's quite a, quite a challenge, uh, but, you know, the, the principle, I think, really holds true. That to be present, to, to really show up, um, you want to really bring some energy into your posture. Um, I, I don't, have any of you seen the Amy Cuddy TED Talk on, on this topic? Some of you have. You know, uh, one of the things that they found, you know, they found that people who are confident and powerful tend to have really good posture and, and, and not only good posture, but they're what they call open postures. Um, they found that at primates across, you know, every species uh, and humans, um, when, they feel, when they're powerful and confident, they open up their bodies 
Um, they, you know, I find like people who win a race, for instance, uh, or some athletic competition, when they win, they just open up their arms like this. What was interesting is that people who are blind from birth and have never seen that do the same thing. So something about the opening postures make you confident and, um, and, and just strong. And then the postures where you're all scrunched up in yourself, you're curled up, you're scrunched up, crossing your arms, uh, those postures make you feel insecure and unconfident. And um, so they decided to do a very simple lab test. Uh, they took, um, uh, they wanted to know if it works the other way around, right? If, if, you, um, if you do the posture, it will affect how you feel. And so they, they had half the group do strong postures. You know, the typical one is the superwoman posture. You know, uh, you know, legs stretched out, hands on the waist. You know, I don't know how, you know, that's an image that's easy to remember for me. And the other one was, you know, just some of the slouched, Type postures, and they had them hold them for two minutes, just two minutes. Then they did a lab work. They tested the testosterone in everybody. The group that had held the strong posture, their testosterone was, uh, I think, 25% higher. The group that had the other posture, the weak posture, it was 10% lower. And then they tested the cortisol. That's a stress hormone. So the group that had the strong posture, their stress hormone went down 20%. And the group that had the weak posture, the stress hormone went up 25%. So it's a very dramatic increase from just two minutes of this posture. So what does it do when you, you know, slump all day? You know, it's one of the reasons that I think, um, you know, Yoga practice, you know, people do yoga practice or Tai Chi or Qigong, you know, which are practices that really um, get you in your body and, and, um, and, and you hold postures in yoga. Um, you know, that there's a very deep effect that comes just from holding the posture. These people weren't even told to guide their minds anywhere. They were just told to, you know, just hold the posture. It doesn't matter what you think about so just the posture has an effect, and even a stronger effect if the mind and body are aligned. So you've got a strong posture and really skillful mind, you know, so that, you know, strengthens that even more. And, um, okay, so, so the last piece is uh, to keep or maintain skillful states. And again, the primary thing to, you know, once you have a skillful state, you stay alert, again, in the senses, so, so you don't get caught, and you practice, you keep practicing, you keep bringing mindfulness into your day, being aware of what you do and not get complacent. Um, in daily life, what are the things we do uh, that help man- maintain skillful states? And such as good company, you know, um, listening to t- Dharma talks, uh, like-minded people, what we read, um, you know, doing, um, you know, going for a walk in fresh air. Those may all be things that help us develop that. But do we have things in our life that do the opposite? You know, do we watch, um, you know, 
television shows that are actually harmful to our mental states? Do we spend time on the internet just unconsciously jumping from one thing to another, to another, to another? It's, you know, a lot of people are addicted. Um, a lot of people have these texting thumbs from doing so much texting. Uh, so what are the things in our daily lives that support, um, you know, wholesome mental states? And being really aware are the things in our lives, such as overcrowding our lives with, with busyness, uh, that we do that, that actually are harmful to our mental well-being. So... Um, the, so the last thing I want to say... Um, with uh, the efforts is, um, you know, I like to think, you know, when I meditate, um, of um, looking at my mind um, as if um, I had an honored guest there. You know, so I, you know, if I have, an, let's say the Dalai Lama is coming over to, um, to the house, I'm going to clean up. You know, better than for anybody else, right? Uh, I'm going to clean up. I'm going to open the windows, bring fresh air in. And, you know, when he comes in, I'm actually going to listen to every word he says because this is really special, right? Um, I'm not going to sit on the sofa, you know, doodling or, or yawning, you know. I'm going to do the best to hear everything he says, right? So I like to treat my own mind as if the Dalai Lama just came to visit, you know, it's an honored guest is here, and I'm going to give it my, my best attention, my best uh, care and respect, regardless of what shows up. So, so thank you all. <laughs>